I'm Alex Rodriguez. And I'm Jason Kelly. From Bloomberg, this is The Deal. Each week, you're here in conversation with business icons. This show will explore deal-making across sports, media, and entertainment. That is a harsh lesson in business. Sports is not as simple as bringing a bunch of big names together. I didn't want to do another stomp you out speech. It opened up so many more doors. The show is called The The Deal. Deal. Listen to The Deal. Listen to The Deal on Spotify. What's up, everybody? Welcome to the At The High podcast. As always, I am Jonathan DeLong, your host, and I'm joined by my usual co-host, Zach and Chase. Zach, how are you? I'm good. Let's let's just have a ball th- tonight, guys. Let's just really have some fun. What do you think? When you do those things, how long do you think about them in advance? I've been thinking about that for about three days. Because I... <laughs> <laughs> You know, it, it's really this is what I bring to the podcast. It's just the, the obvious puns. Don't worry, Especially, I have a few more. The, yeah. <laughs> Zach's over there watching the draft, and while we're all like breaking down, you know, like looking into the players' skill sets and stuff, Zach's like, How can I make puns with that podcast? I'm not the stats guy. I'm not the draft guru. I'm the pun guy. That's what I'm here for. Well, the Hornets, the Hornets did a perfect, made the perfect pick for you then. But uh, before we get into that, Chase, how are you? I am great. I feel vindicated. <laughs> All of my hard work has came to fruition. And now I get to watch LaMelo Ball be a all-star in Charlotte and play in those awesome mint jerseys, which I'm going to buy 35 of on December 3rd, I think, when they come out. All, all LaMelo Ball jerseys. Yeah. Chase, so the, Horn- the, the vision board that you made the like shrine to LaMelo ball that you made in order to get him to Charlotte. What do you do with that now? Like, do you recycle it? Do you, do you repurpose it for a different player next year? I might have to repurpose it. I mean, it seems to have worked. Uh, The power of uh, just saying things that seem very, very ridiculous. And uh, I mean, clearly they can come true after a while. Just it's all you have to do is just constantly repeat what you want to happen out into the public sphere and it will happen. I might have to just do it for some guy next year. Maybe I'll just start start one for Cade Cunningham. <laughs> the Hornets will have to be bad for that, but I've I've been able to control their fate before, so I don't see why I can't do it again. It's the secret. It is the secret. <laughs> <laughs> um, but yeah, Charlotte Hornets selected Lamelo Ball third overall. I think if you think that's uh, it's out there in the news, you may have heard of that. Um, I think. A lot of people wanted James Wiseman. I think LaMelo Ball was the second most popular prospect to the Hornets at three in terms of Hornets fandom. Um, I know Chase and I personally, like Chase just said, Chase spoken into existence for months now, I think. Um, This is the most excited I've been about a Hornets draft pick in a long time. Um, I'm always excited about Hornets draft picks because that's just what I do as a fan of the team. But... LaMelo Ball looks like he can be a superstar. I know there's obviously some holes in his game, but for right now, we we have a superstar in terms of his hype and his media outreach. And now he just gets to get better on the court. But I'm super pumped. Zach. I, I am too. Were yeah. you pumped when they drafted Kemba? Did you see – I don't watch a lot of college basketball, mm-hmm. but I saw him in Connecticut and because I saw the, um, the shot that he made during the tournament. And I was super excited to get – uh, yeah. really crafty guard um and that i'm uh, on that level of excitement with lamello <laughs> ball so I, I was excited for kim but i've uh, you guys probably have friends who reach out to you because they kind of know <laughs> that we do the podcast that, that we're involved with at the hive.com please visit the website what a great website it um, is and they were like can you believe that that the uh, hornet's got lamello ball and by the time by draft night uh, Edwards 
the people were saying that Minnesota was going were going to take Edwards, and I assumed yeah. that Golden State wouldn't take another guard because we hadn't heard about Clay's injury yet, and I hope he gets better. So I was expecting us to draft Ball, and I know Chase, you had uh, visioned it in your head for I'm sure thousands of years before it happened. <laughs> um, so I was I was excited but not surprised. Yeah, it was like yeah, with Kimba, that was kind of around the time. Like I've always followed sports and uh charlotte sports and stuff but 2011 was a time when i really started getting like following the draft and like following teams on a date like a daily basis and stuff so i can't remember my the excitement i had for kimba back then um but i definitely in the time since lamella ball is definitely a a different beast because just because of the the hype as him hype of how highly rated of his prospect he is and for me is like the draft express guys, Jonathan Gavoni and Mike Schmitz both have him top, like their top prospect, like tier one by himself. And Mike Schmitz especially has been singing his praises all off season. And as a very optimistic Hornets fan, I keep thinking back to 2018 when a lot of people who are more familiar with college basketball and not so familiar with European basketball, were very hesitant about Luca. And they're like, I don't know. He might just be another European boss. He's, great competition and they're like deandre ayton is safer and all that stuff and mike schmitz is like no luka Doncic is that guy like you guys are sleeping on him and then obviously he was right and the fact that he's very you know steadfast in this belief that Lamelo ball is that top guy in this draft makes me feel really excited about it uh but chase i want to hear your reaction just because of your uh excitement level about this pick all the way up into the I mean, I kind of did expect it as well. Like once Edwards went one, I kind mm. of figured I was like, okay, like I highly doubt that any team is actually going to like give up assets to trade up to number two for LaMelo. And I don't think the Warriors are going to pick him either, especially because they had just found out that Clay Thompson got hurt. So like, I feel like they were trying to, you know, fill that kind of wing guard spot with a like Kelly Oubre, like who they've been rumored to be trading for over the last yeah, like, they're going hour. To get him. Yeah, yeah they exactly. Are. So I think, yeah, like I think they were trying to fill that void in a much different way than with a developmental player. So I, once Edwards went one, I was like, there is a really good chance that we're going to get who I obviously thought was the number one player in the draft, but more importantly, who people that are much smarter than me have <laughs> thought is the number one player in the draft for a long time. Like Mike, Mike Schmitz, doing all that stuff on ESPN after the draft being like, this is a great fit. This is like one of my favorite picks in the draft. Like not like that instilled like so much confidence just in like, not only like the LaMelo being like the right pick, but like just for the rest of the draft that like Mitch or just in general, like that Mitch Kupchak, like they, they have like a a much better sense of direction than they may have a few years ago. And like, I I think that uh, like also a, a, a nice side, bonus for this i did like i think a russell westbrook trade is like a zero percent chance now because that would just oh, yeah. be ridiculous oh, to trade sure. <laughs> to trade for him when you have yeah, lamello on the team no shooting on the on the guard it, side yeah exactly and how are you going to develop lamello or to another extent Devonte, and to another extent malik when you have russell westbrook with the ball the whole time but like i so that that's another bonus too i guess but i mean <laughs> well, that was- i, I that no, was that ahead. rumor that came out. Sorry, that was that rumor that came out. Was like the Hornets really want Lamelo Ball at three, and if they don't, and if they get him, like it's either Lamelo Ball or Russell Westbrook. If they don't get Lamelo Ball, it's much more like no idea about the veracity of that rumor. But like you said, it definitely uh, completely ru- ruins any chance the Hornets trade for Westbrook, just because I know you don't worry about fit, and we're just trying to collect assets. But at some point, you can't have seven guards on your team that need minutes. Exactly. Like if they did that, every player hard, hard on the team would be a point guard or a power forward. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, every just five players that are all six five on the court at the same yeah, time goes super rockets. Just uh, all all point guards. We, so we, John, I mean, let we me ask. That. Yeah. Let, let me ask what might sound like a simple question, but I think it's important. Why? Why are we excited about Lamelo Ball? What? What about his game? Do you like, or maybe that? I think that people have different reasons for being excited about Lamelo Ball, and I want to know what you, how you feel so, about it. So, for me, my me personally, watching him, um, watching like highlights of him, and watching him do his film study with Mike Schmitz. Mike Schmitz 
by them a few times. Uh, he's formerly of Draft Express. There's ESPN bought Draft Express and kind of ruined it, but still, Mike Schmitz is still really, really good. Uh, probably the best source for draft information in terms of like whatever he says about a prospect, you can generally take it as accurate because he's really good at his job. Um, and he does these prospect, uh, these interviews with these prospects where he goes over their film with them. And I think we might have talked about this on the show a couple weeks ago where he's really good at telling players like this is what you really suck at. And they're like, yeah, man, you're absolutely right. I need to get that better. Um, but anyway, all of this stuff to say all that to say with the ball. He is such a good natural basketball player where he does things that you can't teach. And that's a really important base to have when you're thinking about like projecting the development of a prospect. Like if they're a robot, there's a limit on what they can do. And LaMelo ball is the opposite of that. He does things that no player does. He has ideas that are no other player has. He does makes plays like shots and passes that are more too audacious for most players to attempt. Um, net, like super good with the ball already going to be like a top tier ball handler will come into the NBA, be one of the best passers in the NBA right away. Um, the only things you really have to worry about are the outside shot and the defensive intensity, the defensive intensity. I'm not super worried about because I mean, he's a kid. He just turned 19. Most 19 year olds don't care about defense. And especially this isn't, this kind of is an excuse for him and it's not totally, it's, it's somewhat on him too, but Lamelo has never had to play defense. He's been a superstar since he's a 14 year old and got into all sorts of bad habits where they cherry picked didn't play defense. He's never been held accountable on that end. And so I think the combination of being accountable on that end and being held accountable that in at the NBA level and just growing up and learning the importance of defending a defender because he has the instincts and the tools to be a great defender. And the shot is more of a mechanics thing than a coordination thing. Um, the ringer did this like video about him as a prospect and their guy can't remember his name off the top of my head, but he charted all the three point attempts he took. No, someone Kevin else. Name. Oh, okay. <laughs> it's a different guy. But uh, if you guys haven't seen Lamelo shoot a lot of threes, especially early in this NBL season in Australia, he does some weird things with his legs when he shoots. Like he crosses, crosses them. You mean? Yeah, yeah, he crosses yeah. them or twists really hard and does. He all almost sorts. makes that makes an X with like his ankles sometimes. Yeah, I think it's because I think it's because he doesn't have very much lower body strength at this point. So it's like yeah. uh, like it's just hard for him to just load up, bend his knees, and go straight up every time. Yeah, and the guy theorized that he he got into that like he kind of developed that form when he was the fourteen year old kid shooting forty footers. Yep. And I've broken that habit as he's gotten strong enough because when he shoots, because he can shoot like very flat footed set shots effortlessly to the basket from range, and he charted his shooting percentage on shots when he didn't flail his legs around and he was like 10 for 27 from three which is 37 percent i think it is which super small super small sample size obviously but it lends credence to the idea that his uh shooting problems are more mechanical than they are you know mental or just lack of coordination and that if he over time if he gets more disciplined with the mechanics he'll be a good shooter so very long-winded explanation but basically very good natural basketball player with room to be good in like all areas of the game is there anything else you agree you agree with that chase the the passing is is what you're most excited about yes uh, yeah absolutely i land the natural basketball player that has area to grow in every or has room to grow in every area of the game is like exactly how i would describe it like the defense he's already I i mean like he has had i don't know how many it was like pretty close to 10 like games where he had more than three steals in australia i don't know the exact number so i could definitely be like pretty far off on that and sound like an idiot but he is still (laughs) like very good in passing lanes like and obviously he's six seven and is basically like a wing-sized point guard so that that's going to help him a lot once he fills out his strength in terms of just being able to like guard different positions and you know like be like the guy that comes in on a dig like when the player like his the man next to him drives to the basket he has those long arms and like super long reach and quick hands just stick his hand in and poke the ball out and then he can grab it and go out the length of the floor and finish or make an absolutely ridiculous pass to somebody across the court in the corner of the three-point line like there's just no limit to like 
what he can do on a basketball court. Like he, he can rebound, he can defend, he can shoot, he can pass, he can do like a, he can play multiple positions. Like there's, a, he really can just do everything at us to a certain level once he, you know, fills out his frame and cleans up the shot selection and the mechanics a little bit. I don't think the defense is really going to be a problem at all in the NBA because, like John said, once he gets older and like more mature and is like, you know, I'm in the NBA making millions of dollars to do this. I've worked my whole life to get here. Like, I'm just going to keep working now. Like, I think he's that kind of guy. Like, I don't think he's like a, a, what the media makes him out to be necessarily, because I think most of those uh, the character assumptions are just projections uh, from them disliking his father, which is fair, but like, it's not fair to LaMelo at all. But yeah. so I, no, I, I, it's hard I agree. When the camera's on you awesome. starting at like four, 14, you know? Exactly. And he didn't make any of those choices. Yeah, right. he, he he didn't choose to go to Lithuania. His dad made that made that choice. He didn't choose to go play in Ohio. Like his dad made that choice. Like he, he didn't choose to drop out of high school and go play in the JBL. Like his dad made that choice. <laughs> like they, they, he he had no say in a lot of what happened. And I'm sure that if it was up to him, he would have played four years at Chino Hills High School with Onyeko Kongwu and had a prolific high school career. Probably still gone overseas or something like that. And it would have just been probably what people would be saying about him in the media would be much different than being like, oh, he's never played on one team. Oh, he jumped around. He ruined the club in Lithuania, blah, 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 which basically is all about his dad. So, yeah, I, but in, a, in short, he will be very good. And I am very excited. Personality is <laughs> the, the pocket passing. The yeah. As a Steve Nash fan, a regular season Steve Nash fan who would watch him like on a Tuesday um, when they were playing in Toronto or something like that, the pocket passing to the big man in the lane, not where the big man has to bend down to get the ball or even uh, if it's a lob, if it's two over his head, that the ball is put in the place where the big man needs it to be to make the move. That is hard really to teach somebody how to make a pocket pass like that. That's what I'm super excited about with LaMelo. The the corner passes where he kind of throws it over and even a little behind his head to the corner shooter. I wonder how that's going to translate when there are NBA defenders who are way better at tracking passes like that. I wonder if he's going to be able to evolve his game to make those corner passes. I, I think he has the ability to do it. Yeah. But what gets me up in, in the morning is watching him do those like crazy pocket passes um, because that you can imagine like a high pick and roll game um, with a decent uh, big man, which maybe Cody may Zeller. have a problem with having a decent, yeah, okay, Cody Zeller. Cody <laughs> Zeller. Um, you did say decent. What, that's, what, that's basically <laughs> what, how do you describe him? Cody Zeller is the embodiment <laughs> of decent. <laughs> Fair enough. And I think people are, are, Charlotte is hyped because this guy is famous, because he, he's big on social media, because he's going to look good in that mint um, Hornets jersey. But what I'm excited about is to see some awesome pocket passes on a Wednesday when when they let me into Spectrum Center. I can spend $5 to watch LaMelo Ball make pocket passes in the paint. <laughs> it might not be $5 anymore. It might be like eight dollars now. I got Lamelo, ten fifty, right? <laughs> so the thing about um, to touch on like the personality stuff, if my dogs will stop barking, uh, <laughs> is that so? The, like like along with what Chase said about his dad being the problem, also I think the because first impressions are obviously the biggest impression, and everybody's first impression of Lamelo Ball was when he was a fourteen year old kid, and I would hate. I feel bad for anybody whose first impression to the world is their 14 year old version of themselves. Cause that's not, that's not good. That is a very good point too. That's uh, extremely true. <laughs> Even like 19. I will say this now. Yeah. LeBron James had that same scrutiny and mm -hmm. was, it was great at 14 personality wise, like, yeah. it, which is amazing, you know, under that much pressure that he could, that was why I've always followed LeBron James and liked him as a player. Um, it's interesting to see character at such a young age. Yeah. Um, but I wouldn't hold that against Lamelo, uh, obviously at fourteen. Yeah, and then yeah, and it's in their different situations because uh, LeBron had a different upbringing, and Lamelo has been, you know, he's grown up a rich kid with a very outspoken father, and had an older brother that was basically uh, Lavar's 
you know, campaigning for. And he's just like, look at my other son while we're at it. So he has to trust him to everybody. Like, look at how, all the dumb shots he's taking. He's cherry picking. He doesn't do anything. It's like, well, yeah. If you ever, you ever played basketball with 14-year-olds before, that's how all of them play. Especially yeah, yeah. if they don't and have a coach that tells them to good. do otherwise. Yeah. <laughs> but How much money would you pay to watch LeVar play one-on-one with Michael Jordan? Oh, that'd be great. All of the money in the world. All of the money I could possibly I could get together. Um, one last thing on Lamelo, at least from me. Um, there is an article on Basketball Forever. It's and it's got all a whole bunch of comments from teammates to just kind of put to bed this whole idea about him being a bad teammate and stuff. So he goes to the Illawarra Hawks, who are awful in Australia. And very easily could have been another Lithuanian situation where it's just like, hey, he's just here to pass the time until he gets drafted. He has no affiliate, like, you know, no allegiance to this team. He doesn't care about the team. He just out there to improve his draft stock. And his teammates have absolutely nothing but good things to say about him. Like, there's even one comment, like, he's like, the co- I think it was the coach. It was like, if Lamelo and this other guy, we're going to start them. If stuff goes south, I'm pulling them quick because they need to play well. And they didn't play well, and he pulled him quick, and he's like, all right, he's probably going to go pout on the bench, and he's going to sulk because that's the reputation he had coming in. And he's like, nope. He came over, wasn't upset at all, like was swinging his towel, cheering on his teammates, like really engaged on the bench. And everybody's just like, yeah, he fit right in. He's a great kid, uh, soft-spoken, like great teammate, not have nothing but good things to say about him. And that seeing all that from his teammates that have no reason to be nice about him anymore because he's gone. I guess he might technically be their boss. If he bought the team, but either way, they don't have to say nice things about him, and they all say nothing but nice things about him. So very small sample size, twelve games with the Hawks. And yeah, but he there's also the preseason the campus season. stuff that he was there with them too. He um, didn't leave immediately after he got hurt. He stayed with them for a while, and I think the the thing about him buying the team actually ended up falling through. So like that okay. that I mean to that point that strengthens the argument that like they don't have a, they don't have a reason to lie like they they yeah. definitely like really genuinely liked him and like obviously he liked them if he was gonna willing willing to buy the team yeah. and like save it from going under and presumably would be to like pay all of the people that worked there and like the trainers mm-hmm. and coaches and stuff so like he obviously has like a very genuine side to him that people don't talk about for some reason. I gotta throw some contrarian stuff to this love fest, though, because okay. he he has doesn't hasn't proven at least that he can hit the three pointer consistently. And being a guard in the modern NBA means you have to be able to hit the consistent three pointer, not more than just the the footwork, which needs some work. He also has some flair to that elbow, which if you like junior varsity middle school coach will tell you to tuck that elbow in a little bit. And it's concerning that he's been playing basketball for this long and hasn't fixed that yet. Now he can learn, I guess, to shoot it like that. We've, we've seen people be able to do that. However, Hornets fans will know that we've drafted someone in the top three previously who we thought we could, he could fix his shot mechanics and it never happened. Um, his name is MKG, and that's all that needs to be said about that. <laughs> I also am worried a little bit about where he would fit in this basketball team. As you guys referred to, we already have two guards who play at a relatively high level. I know that some people don't like Rogier, but I mean, he's a he's an NBA, he's a starting NBA point guard. Um, do you see Lamelo Ball? cracking your starting lineup like if you were to make the starting lineup would, would he crack the start starting lineup um as a rookie or even to begin the season i don't it, it's hard to say um just because i don't know who like i think the most obvious candidate to so if you were to like list players that have the most tenuous hold on their starting position re, like regardless of who's on the bench behind them be cody zeller at center because He's the old player that's not likely to be in the long-term plans. And then probably Miles Bridges. And yep, then, yep. um, and then I don't think, and then Lamelo is not going to unseat either of them. Probably. I don't think we'll start all three point guards. So then it becomes, if he starts one of Devante or Terry goes to the bench and they were the top two players on the team last year. So it, I don't know. I don't know if he starts right away. You would like to see the number three pick start right away, but I don't know who he starts over. So I guess it just kind of depends on, what happens in camp and in the preseason. Yeah, I agree. Cause, and also like 
we probably would be asking the same questions if they picked Anthony Edwards just with mm-hmm. Miles instead of, you know, basically just to, because I really don't think they're going to move Devontae to the bench. So I feel like it's just, are you going to start Terry or are you going to start Lamelo? is kind of the question. I think so too. Yeah, because yeah. I, I don't think that Devontae, especially because he's so young and like going theoretically going into a contract here because I don't see them extending him this year for $44 million. He's definitely going to be able to get more money for that. If he has even a relatively close season to what he had last year, but they should try to, but yeah, they definitely, they definitely should try to, if they, if they can extend him, that would be, I'd be thrilled, but I, I mean, I'd also be thrilled for Devante to get paid a lot. So it it doesn't, doesn't matter to me. It ain't my money, but what were you saying? I wanted trying to break the record for, Hornets trying to break the record for the most amount of players sitting on the bench making over fifteen million dollars a year <laughs> with Terry Rozier on the bench. Um, it would you know a, a lot of teams in the Hornet situation end up in that that spot though where what, on the b- bench or they operate. Well, even well, like the Hawks last year, I think had a bunch of money on their bench just because they accum- like just brought in these bad contracts. Now the Hornets actually signed the players to the bad contracts, but it's normal for teams that are rebuilding to have overpriced veterans sitting on their bench um, while young players get minutes. But Terry Rozier, if he does go to the bench, it's going to be the sixth man. He's still going to play like 30 minutes a game. Sure. Yeah, I agree. He he honestly would be one of the best six men in the league too. Like if yeah. he got the same like amount of minutes basically as he did when or last year, and it, but they were just more like more staggered, he could definitely contend for that award if he shoots as well as he did last year. And I think he's uh, a good enough team player to be willing to accept that if it gets to that point. Yeah, and he's making a lot of money, so I think that's what's really important here. Because if he gets <laughs> if he gets thirty five or thirty minutes a game and still gets to put up like twenty five thirty points on on occasion, and gets to add like a potentially add a, a a trophy to his case, I don't think that that's like a hard argument to make to him necessarily. I think because I mean, the, you could also trade him to a contender because I think that's like he has underrated trade value for a team like that too. Yeah, that's I think the, the NBA yeah. did a good thing for for teams everywhere with having a six man of the year award because any player that's deserving to start but needs to come off the bench all you have to do is like, hey man, it's your chance to earn a trophy right here. You know what? You're right because to me that's that's appealing to be like, hey, you could be a good starter or you could be the best six man. Like, I'll be the best. Yeah, six man. for sure. Like, would you <laughs> rather be like? a role-playing starter or like the first guy that comes off the bench that just puts up like 20 points every and the fans yeah. like know them and they, they get put on TV and stuff like that. Like I'd rather be that guy. Yeah. And then you have like, you're, you're forever enshrined in like Wikipedia's list of six man of the year award winners and stuff like that. Well, you guys are really writing this history for Terry Rozier about competing <laughs> for six man of the year. He I'd could do it though. I mean, I imagine if uh, he goes to the bench, like I said, his minutes should be roughly the same, um, just staggered with Devontae and LaMelo. Um, and if he comes off the bench, he might not get quite as many. He had 34 minutes a game last year. If he gets like 30-ish, um, he can still average 18 points a game, and that's going to be one of the best in the league if he averages 16 to 18 points a game off the bench. But remember when the first Brawl brother came to the NBA and his first – little bit with the Lakers there were some issues with LeVar about his playing time that I'm sure that this is all going to go great this is the day after the draft which is always the best (laughs) day for Charlotte Hornets fans because all the players are great and going to be MVPs Um, but there's a way in which he never learns how to shoot an outside shot Um, he's his his father becomes a distraction Um, there's a there's a different way this can go and it's just I, I hate being the contrarian on these podcasts, but I need to be because it, there's a way in which LaMelo Ball may not be the person that Chase dreams at night <laughs> that he's going to be. Oh, he could absolutely be a bust, but we're not going to. But I hope not. And, and... Yeah, we're just, but this is like you said, this is the the time of year where we all just look at the bright side of things because we're going to lose a lot of games this year. And so this is our time to have fun and to be excited. Positive energy, positive vibes only. <laughs> um, is there anything else about Lamella Ball we want to talk about before we move on to the the bevy of second rounders that we used um, that we won't talk about for twenty minutes a piece like we did with Lamelo, but we'll talk about it a little bit. 
don't know. He's got a lot of Instagram followers. Yeah, he has a lot of a lot of Instagram followers. Very cool. Uh cool cool chain at the draft. Gold gold oh, shoes. Super cool chain. Yeah. <laughs> Were there spikes on the shoe like on the top parts of the shoes? Did I see that? Yeah, they're like the uh, Gucci, I think, is the they're like the like loafer, like dress shoe type things. They're like gold, uh, like spikes that are made out of like probably some not not real gold, but some sort of fancy thing that costs too much for me. But Mellow has. If I were pairs. a rich man, <laughs> <laughs> little fiddler on the roof pun for you guys. Come on! <laughs> I have no idea what that is. I've never even heard of fiddler on the roof. <laughs> I've heard of that. I don't know anything about what that would be. In the audience. <laughs> 1971 film. It's a, um, it's a, it's a musical. <laughs> oh yeah. Oh okay. I I feel like I've seen this uh like whatever they're called playbill picture thing before. This is the culture podcast. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, at, at the hive, your foremost pop culture oh, podcast man. from 1970s American uh, theater. I'm I I sorry I tuned out of that conversation because I was reading something about Lamella. Um, <laughs> I think it's time to move. I think that means it's time to move to the next prospect that the Hornets picked. Um, Hornets got actually. We'll do a quick uh, ad break first. So stay tuned through the ad, and we'll talk about the second round picks. Super exciting. I'm Alex Rodriguez, and I'm Jason Kelly from Bloomberg. This is the deal. Each week, you'll hear us in conversation with business icons. This show will explore deal-making across sports, media, and entertainment. That is a harsh lesson in business. Sports is and not and, as um, simple you know, as bringing a bunch of big names together. I didn't want to do another stomp you out speech. It opened so, up so many more doors. The show is called The, the deal. deal. Listen to The Deal. Listen to The Deal on Spotify. With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. Welcome back to the At The Hive podcast. Uh, we just spent like 30 minutes talking about LaMelo Ball and how great of a pick it was and how there's no way it could ever go poorly. Um, now it's time to talk about the second round picks, of which the Hornets made three of. They came into the night with two second round picks, uh, decided to slide back in there to get a third in the middle of the second round by trading away a 2024 second round pick. We'll get to that. First, they used the 32nd overall pick on center Vernon Carey Jr. Out of, um, I think everybody expected the Hornets to take a center in the second round, especially without taking Wiseman first in the first pick, with the first overall pick, or third overall pick, whatever. Um, Vernon Carey wasn't exactly the guy I was expecting, but I, I, I mean, it's it's fine. I'm fine with it. Especially if he's lost 30 to 40 pounds, like Mitch Kupchak said in his press conference. If he's lost that much weight, then that that's that's a game changer. He would be so much more mobile. And oh, yeah. I mean that, that would just mean that he's been working his behind off for the last yes. like like eight months. So that's that's a good sign as well. Yeah, that just the dedication required to do that. Because he does have he's got good touch and he's got and he's very strong, obviously. His uh father's an offensive lineman for the Dolphins for nine years. Um and he's got a semblance of an outside shot. The question was always like he can't was if he could guard anybody because he wasn't mobile enough. But if he lost that much weight, he was a lumbering center that couldn't move to begin with. He was just not mobile enough. But if he lost all that weight, he could be, you know, very like that could be a, a huge steal. Obviously, we haven't seen him to verify the the weight loss. But again, this is a day for positive vibes and optimism. That's like that's really encouraging to hear. Zach, and coming into thoughts? college, yeah. So coming into college, he was very highly rated. He was like, yeah. I think there are like something like five five star recruits in this draft class, and he was one of them. Um, and he had one bad year at Duke, um, which other players have had bad years at Duke. 
But Chase, you uh, you got me excited about Xavier Tillman. And when I saw that he was still on the board oh, man. Um, and we were looking for a center because we didn't get Wiseman, I was like, oh, man, we're going to get this Tillman guy. You know me, I don't watch college basketball, but she says he's really good. So, uh, <laughs> And then, of course, we went with the North Carolina guy, which is not surprising for Hornets picks um, and not surprising in this draft later on that we went uh, a Carolina dude as well. Um, so that was my first thought. But then I kind of read up on Carrie and I like if you're going to – you says he has a semblance of an outside shot. I don't think he took many outside shots. And, and that's why it's a semblance, yes. <laughs> gotcha, gotcha. And if you're gonna pick a dude who is a, a rim runner, a and has the potential. I know he, his defense is not great, but he has the potential to be a rim protector because he's so big. You know, you could see a, a larger guy in the paint accepting those pocket passes from from Lamelo Ball really working in this team, especially because we have the um, perennial decent center in uh, Cody Zeller, <laughs> and that's giving him a bunch of credit. Yeah, so yeah, the, the symbolist of an outside shot, he attempted 21 three-pointers in 31 games at Duke, so less than a three per game, but he did make eight of them, which is 38%, very good percentage. Um, like I said, obviously, the sample it's size isn't big enough. Prime of a small sample. sample size, yeah, isn't yeah. enough to extrapolate, but he took three pointers, which is a good starting point because there are a lot of the centers in the draft did not shoot three pointers. So it's not, again, I don't like, this is not to say I expect him to come in and just be spotting up for three, but it's, it's a, a workable skill. Like there's a base there. Um, the thing with, with him that I thought, cause I kind of wrote him off cause I didn't think he fit with us was that he's, he got most of his baskets in, the way that most college basketball teams get their baskets. And that was catching the ball close to the basket and just ramming his shoulder into people until he got close enough to shoot it. And I was like, well, that's not going to work in the NBA, but he does have really good touch around the basket, whether he's being a bully or if he's got openings created from by other people. So I do think he's kind of like the Hornets win this like offense defense thing with their two centers they picked. And we're talking about the offense one right now. And I think he has a pretty solid offensive game to, that should translate decently well as just like a catch and finish guy. Um, if he's getting fed the ball from like little ball and Devontae Graham and stuff like that. Yeah. Chase, I think he, he's corner like, of your vision board. Oh yeah. He was, he was, <laughs> he was there a little bit, but I, a person I, when I saw that Tillman was still going to be available at 32, Mitch Kupchak, I know you listen to this podcast because or else the LaMelo Ball thing wouldn't have worked out. So I'm speaking directly to you right here. You got me going when you said you were going to pick a four-year college player at 32 that was probably going to have to play in the G League a little bit. Because Till- Tillman only played for three years, but he is was by far the closest fit for that bill at 32. And they needed a big man. <laughs> and I was like I, – I put my phone down before – the Hornets pick like or if ever or a few picks before the Hornets came up every time because I didn't want it to be like spoiled for them. So I was standing in front of my TV being like, <laughs> wow, every person that I wanted the Hornets to draft is going to be on the team. And I was very <laughs> surprised when they picked Vernon. And I mean, shout out, shout out to the Memphis Grizzlies, by the way, who went into the draft with the 40th pick and came out of it with Desmond Bain. Xavier Tillman and Killian Tilly as an undrafted free agent. I mean that that's like insane value. Who? But anyway, this is a Charlotte Hornets podcast. But <laughs> go to the they, go to your Grizzlies friends and talk about the that with the Grizzlies on the Grizzlies podcast. I I, I might podcast. have to. I might yeah, have to. You and Chris Vernon. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Jesus Christ! But uh, <laughs> I was I was very surprised when they picked Carey at thirty two because I probably thought they could have gotten him later. But like, it doesn't really matter because if you told me that the Horn- if you just said the Hornets got Vernon Carey, Nick Richards, and Grant Riller in the second round, I'd be like, that's awesome. So it doesn't really matter that Carey was 32 and Riller was 56 because you got both of them. So that I mean, <laughs> I guess that kind of like made up for it. So but I definitely think that he has like a he has a place in the NBA for sure, especially if he loses weight because all the like like what John said with like the touch that he has around the rim and he's like wicked skilled. I think next year he could play like a somewhat similar role to what uh, Billy Hernan Gomez played last year, just like as a on a maybe a smaller scale because he's so much younger and needs to like develop more. But I think he's going to be like the um, like a somewhat matchup dependent guy where he can just go out and play against a center that's not as explosive or athletic 
because he's not really like a vertical player at all. Like he doesn't have very long arms either, nor can he jump overly high. And he, I think he's like 6'10", so he's not really like a massive dude anyway. He's more just like strength and just brute force. But if he can at least just be like a below the rim, like offensive score and be like passable on defense, which I definitely think he can do because he seems to be a smart player. And again, if he loses weight, that's going to help as well with just being able to move around. But I definitely think he could like carve out a pretty like, like nice fit like niche for himself in the nba where he can fit on a lot of different teams and play like matchups against a lot of different centers and probably do like really well in it but and like it could be a steal at 32 but i mean in the event that he uh, like doesn't get better at defense i guess like i'm not sure uh his rim protection would be like good enough to play a lot but like if you get a guy at 32 that lasts like six years in the nba and gives you like reasonable production during that time like that that's a success and i definitely think he has a pretty good chance to do that the yeah the quote the, from this podcast is chase whitney saying that vernon Carey jr is quote-unquote wicked skilled just wicked <laughs> wicked skilled the, he, the is, way, he is extremely skilled yeah i forgot that like, nobody says wicked if you don't live in new england <laughs> yeah chase is the, the main the main guy here um the uh yeah, the weight, and then as, as I think it's been very obvious here, the weight is the big wild card here. Because like I said, we could be overplaying how much this weight loss actually matters. Um, and he could just be the exact same player at Duke and can't guard anybody and can just bully people to the rim if they're smaller than him. Or he could be a totally different guy than we saw at Duke if the weight loss is legit and it actually had a huge effect on his athleticism. The um, other thing about the weight is that you don't want a almost seven-foot player to be, you know, really light, having some weight on you when you're that big is good. It means that, that like Chase was saying, there might be some longevity in this career. We've seen too many um, really tall players who are very skinny not last in the NBA because you take a lot of punishment in the paint, and it's good to have the weight on you. And you could see, you know, not to bring up maybe the one of the greatest big men in the, the NBA, but Shaquille O'Neal had to add weight in order to stay in the NBA. Um, and he did that. And coming in, I get a little nervous when young kids have weight because usually gain the weight later on in life. Um, but yeah, at, at 270, I don't think that's crazy. But, you know, he's not going to be running the floor for sure. Yeah, I think 270 gives him, like, if, if he dropped to like 235, 240, that's a good weight for a 19-year-old a 7-footer. Um, because he's not going to have a bunch of muscle mass yet. Unless he, I think so. 270 might have been a bit of a low estimate by uh, our friends at Duke <laughs> University on that website, yeah. too. He so looked, he would, he, I mean, not that he was, like, fat or out of shape, but he was a monster last yeah. year. Uh, yeah, so if he went from, like, 280 or so down to 240, 250, like, just, you know, roughly saying, like, that's, that's a, a big plus in my book. Um, moving on. The Hornets traded a 2024 second round pick because I guess the Pelicans just were, didn't feel like making any more picks um, to the New Orleans Pelicans for the 42nd overall pick. I think it was right. Yeah. And yes, yes, it was. And selected uh, Nick Richards, who is basically another center, but is basically everything that Vernon Carey is not as a center. So Nick Richards, three years at Kentucky. Um, no, I guess he has a like he has shown flashes of a mid-range jump shot. I guess uh, I haven't watched a lot of him to have seen that. But basically, what Nick Richards is known for is he can catch it and he can dunk it and he can block shots. Um, he didn't attempt a single three-pointer in three years at Kentucky. He registered uh exactly seven assists in 919 minutes as a junior, uh, and three steals in 919 minutes as a, as a junior. Both very poor. Um, but yeah, he's really big. He's really athletic. Um, it basically like, basically the Hornets picked Willie Hernan Gomez and Bismarck Biombo in this draft. Am I wrong? No, no. Not really wrong. I hope you were wrong. Not that they'll be the same level of players, but like in terms of the archetype, they took, they, that's, that's the archetype they took. And that, sure, and he's he's three years older than Vernon, um, yeah. and he didn't play basketball growing up. Um, mm. And I'm of two minds of this because I've I've seen both things play out. Where 
they have no no feel for the basketball game, but they're tall and they like you said they they can um, be that presence in the paint, but they have no feel for the game. Or they actually had feel and didn't even know the game at all and are kind of innately able to play basketball. Both things have happened, and at at forty two in the second round, um, and we're doing this inside or uh, outside in thing where look we're either getting people who can play at the perimeter or people who can play in the paint you can't complain about this pick um in my imagination maybe i'm wrong (laughs) no it's it's like and that's the thing is that you wonder like even though he's a little bit older of a prospect the fact that he started playing basketball so late uh you expect there's more room for growth there than a typical player at his age um it just—it's funny. It's the 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 feel for the game thing is obviously the big question mark because the two stats that I think, like I said, and I just touched on that most that you can get the quick feel for what a player, how well a player reads the game, are assists and steals, and he is very bad at both of those. But it's not going to be his job. And the Hornets, I think, have proven to this point under this that they can develop players, and so there's I think there's room for for Richards to be. A useful contributor here. He's a good foil to carry in that, you know, like Chase said, he's carry might be a matchup guy. Uh, sorry, Google's talking to me. Uh, carry might be like the, a matchup guy that if you play in a team with a weaker defensive center where you can kind of bully him around, Richards is kind of the opposite of that, where if the team's struggling to get stops, he can go back there and kind of anchor the defense a little bit. They, they do perfectly complement each other. That's why that's another reason why I was like, okay with uh like the selection of carry to begin with just because i mean even not that it really matters if i'm okay with it or not anyway because i want him to be good no matter what but i was like they they perfectly like (laughs) foil each other so if they basically got like one center but it's just two guys like you just use whichever one you need to use and if you either one can develop like the other parts of their game that fill in like you're basically just giving mitch another chance to hit on a center in this draft and like that's just, I mean, you're just doubling your odds of one of them being good, basically. And mm-hmm. I think that there's a fair chance that one of them sticks in the league to be productive with the Hornets when they're in the playoffs in a few years. So, I mean, yeah. that's, I mean, that's that's literally, that's literally all you want is just someone to be okay if you're picking them at 42. Like, and I think there's a chance of that. So, we'll have yeah, to wait I, and see. But I'm excited. Yeah, it's like we'll pick. It's like if Kerry can figure out defense, got a good player. If Richards can figure out offense, got a good player. One of them's got to figure it out, right? Yeah, exactly. And uh, I, like what you said about his mid-range shooting, like I think someone posted a stat. He he shot like a, a pretty like res, like 45, like 47 percent from mid-range or something like that. And that's like that's solid enough to be like maybe he can stretch the floor a little bit. And I think over his career, he shot 73 percent from the free throw line. So mm-hmm. he has, yeah. you know, like touch and coordination. It's just a matter of like modernizing his game which we obviously have seen that john calipari isn't as much as a love like an nba preparation coach that he is he doesn't necessarily do that because we didn't i mean not many people knew bam could dribble or pass uh, except for bam until he got to the (laughs) nba so yeah it's funny it's that's an important thing important uh point there is that for as much credit as calipari gets for putting players in the nba it's more that he recruits nba players to play for him because it feels like every a uh, big Kentucky prospect comes in the league. And it's like, oh wow, I didn't know he could do that. Right? Like, yeah. Like he he actually talked about it. I think on TV when the it might have it was either when Richards or Tyrese Maxey got picked. He was saying like, well, I knew Jamal Murray would be a good scorer when I got him. I yeah. knew you know Devin Booker was a really good shooter when I got him. I did not know Bam was going to be able to see the floor like this. I did not know. <laughs> You know, uh, who else did he talk about? I think it was. Oh, he said he was like, I did not know Demarcus Cousins was going to be able to be that good of like a ball handler as, yeah. as, a, as a big man before he got hurt. Obviously, like so, he he himself is like, I just put you in a good situation to show off the talents to an NBA team, and I put you in a good situation to win, and it's a nice balance. And look at me talking about my guys on TV right now. You want to come to yeah. Kentucky? <laughs> exactly. <laughs> yeah. Exactly. It's a, it's Always a putting like all the the jerseys of all the players he's putting the nba behind him like look guys look what i did 
And I wonder if he has a connection with the Hornets front office somewhere because the Kentucky player thing, it's not even a joke at this point. It's, it's real. They liked, they just want a Kentucky player every year. Like, <laughs> yeah, you can't convince me. Yeah. This is, we had oh, PJ Washington man. last year and uh, we obviously yeah. had the Monk and Kid Gilchrist beforehand. I'll never stop talking about how we drafted Frank Kaminsky over Devin Booker. I'll never stop <laughs> We needed that Kentucky. Just the worst. Yeah, the one time they should have gone for a Kentucky player, definitively. <laughs> <laughs> right. Uh, um, uh, the last pick the Hornets made in the draft, which was their own pick, well, they got from Boston, uh, the 56th overall pick, which is in most drafts, any for like a rebuilding team is a throwaway pick. Um, last year, the Hornets got Jalen uh, yeah, McDaniels at 52, and it worked out. Uh, hoping for the same thing this year. At 56, they took Grant Riller, uh, guard out of the college people of Charleston. People are excited about this guy. He, yeah, um, yeah, going into the draft, a lot of people talked about him as one of the best, or arguably the best just pure scorer in college basketball. Um, and I think even Mitch Kupchak and several other people said they had Riller rated a lot higher than 56. Um, so the Hornets, I think, are very excited about him getting him 56. And he's an interesting prospect. Like He doesn't have anything elite physical. But he knows how to get himself some buckets. That dude can get buckets. If there's one thing he's going to do <laughs> in his life, Grant Ruler wakes up in the morning. He says, I'm going to get a bucket today. And he, it, he is damn good at it. He gets they, that bucket. He, he's the, the second uh, all-time scoring leader in the CAA with 2,474 points. He was there for five years, but when he was a freshman, he got hurt in the preseason, so he just redshirted, uh, which I think a lot of teams probably dropped him on their board because he's 23 already. But, I mean, that really, to me, only matters in, like, the top 20. Like, after 20, you're like, if a guy's good, I'm just going to take him. And I personally had him ranked as the 19th player on my big board. I don't, that's not definitive at all, but I mean, <laughs> even like, well, even like you said, like Mitch was like, I had him rated much higher than this. And there were definitely teams that had him rated higher than that. That maybe just went a different direction for some reason. Like I, I, him and Devon Dotson being available at 56. I, I was, I was so surprised. And I, I knew, even though they had already picked Lamella, I kind of wanted them to go, just with one of them because like both of those guys could be really good. And Dotson just ended up going undrafted entirely, but to get Riller at 56 is like, that's like legitimate first round talent or at least production at 56. And like, I don't know how the history of the 56 pick in the draft, but I would, I think you'd be hard pressed to find a guy that has like such general, like praise, I guess from like main or mainstream and like internet draft analysts that went that late in the draft or like I it's just it was just weird to me that he lasted that long so I, I it's very awesome to be able to get him like and that's kind of scoring at 56 because I definitely he he's gonna light up Greensboro at the least and if yeah. not he could probably play a little bit in Charlotte as like just come off the bench and get to the rim and score and shoot a little bit off the ball. And he can he can defend enough. Like he didn't always do that well at Charleston because he scored two thousand four hundred and seventy four <laughs> points. So I'd imagine he was a little bit tired at times. Yeah, um, he's the leader in the clubhouse to be the guy that Jonathan brings up, like in February. Like, hey, did you watch the Greensboro game uh, <laughs> on Wednesday on some weird YouTube link that I got? Oh, man, Grant's really lighting it up down there, and I'm going to be like, no, John, no, I didn't. No, let me didn't let me tell that. you let me tell you why that that's incorrect. Uh, the players <laughs> that I always do that for are guys that don't score a lot, and like now you guys got to see their overall impact on the team as a whole. The PER, the guys, right? Yeah, like that's the Cody Martin and the Cody Zeller and the Nick Batum thing. While I let other people do that with the guys that just go get buckets, especially in Greensboro, like people did with Dwayne Bacon when he was. Score thirty shots a game in Greensboro, but that's another that's conversation. That's why you're a leader, Jonathan. <laughs> but yeah, the thing with Riller, um, I, I have to, I have to like kind of look through the roster again. Um, it's gonna be hard for him to get minutes. I mean, it's that he won't get minutes right away. Yeah, it won't um, be hard for him because he won't be there. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> it's just I, I wonder, I wonder if they will have a spot for him on the roster right away. 
Like he might be, they might end up using that second two way spot on him, um, or something like that, just because uh, there are so many players on the team that can't go anywhere. Um, but there's there's that. I guess you got to find minutes Billy. for Caleb. You got to find minutes for <laughs> Caleb Martin. Well, just thinking this through out loud right now. Biz will be gone. Uh, Billy will be gone. Dwayne Bacon is. They renounced his uh, qualifying offer today, so he's gone. Oh, they did. So he's gone. Yeah. I saw that they were. I made decided yet, but yeah, I figured he'd be gone. Um, Man, anybody what, else? What, what a loss, Dwayne! Remember yeah. when Dwayne? There were people in, in our mentions talking about how Dwayne Bacon should be starting on this team. Um, he could lead us to the playoffs. <laughs> people, and I, me, I, I got excited about Bacon every once in a while. I, I was a huge. I was into him. I still am. I hope he does well wherever he goes. But obviously, it's not to the same uh, ceiling as it was. In what, what <laughs> March of 2018, I think, or yeah, yeah. March of 2018. Yeah, that was yeah, yeah. yeah when he had he had like two two twenty point games and started for a little while. Yeah. So right now the Hornets, I'm looking at their roster on their website, which currently has uh 19 players on it. That doesn't fit. Um, <laughs> that's but like I said, funny. Dwayne Bacon, he's on there. He's out. Bismarck Biombo, he's on there. He'll be out. Uh, Billy's on there. He'll be out. And then uh, Ray Spalding and Kobe Simmons were both. They were they were the two way guys at the end, right? Or would, did we sign Kobe Simmons to a uh, NBA contract? I think yeah, they were both two way. But I I, okay. I think there's a legit chance Kobe comes back on a two way. Yeah, so Maybe I guess there is room. Grant will like fight out for it. Yeah, I guess. so that's that that's room. There's room for Riller on the roster at least. But I wouldn't be surprised if he does end up being a two way guy because. As much as in the moment, like he's the fifty-sixth pick in the draft, like he's he barely got drafted. Um, and I couldn't help point, Jason, but but hear that you're assuming that Nicholas Batum is going to pick up his player option. He already that did. That's, oh, oh, he did. Don't you worry. <laughs> that was the easiest <laughs> player option pickup in the history of the NBA. Um, yeah, I didn't even write like a post about it because I just retweeted like, yeah, we all knew this was going to happen, right? Um, <laughs> so, um. I guess there there is a chance he makes the team. I wouldn't be so I wouldn't be surprised if he's a two way player. And if he doesn't end up being a two way player or a G League player, G League player, there's nothing wrong with that. He's a fifty six pick. It's it's a it's a flyer. But I do like what he could potentially bring to the table. He's not a prolific three point shooter, but he's a good three point shooter. But he's got kind of like we talked about Lamelo. He's a very good instinctual player. He's got a very deep bag of tricks, especially around the rim. Um, he's really good finish around the basket and um, sometimes you just need players deep down on the bench that can just get you bucket, get hot and get you bucket sometimes. And I think that really could be that guy. Obviously this is best case scenario, but you know, again, positive vibes only vibes only. I think Riller could be that guy. Um, Anything? There's only one other player the Hornets have acquired, and we don't have to talk about him too much. Uh, Chase, I saw you talk about um, the Hornets already signed a two-way contract with an undrafted free agent, Nate Darling. Do you actually know anything about him before the Hornets signed him? Yeah, I mean, I'm not a lot. I have watched, like, I don't think I've watched a full game of him. Like, there, like most well, yeah. prospects, I had watched like a game or something mm-hmm. of them playing or like a game or two. I don't think I'd ever watched like an actual Delaware game, but he is a shooter. Like that guy, like I, I don't, this is obviously might be a stretch, like a little bit, like he might be just purely like the best shooter on in the organization right now. Like he, like- his range is well beyond the NBA line and he has size and like he made, I'm gonna look up how many total threes he made in his college career. 450 or 186 threes made. So I think over a large stand from any situation, like catch and shoot, pull up over a pick and roll, pull up just running down the court off of a rebound, sprinting down the side into the corner, and the point guard slings a pocket pass to him. Like, at like everything. He took, uh, I think, 8.8 threes per 40 minutes. And shot forty percent. Yeah, yeah. like that. Yeah, like he, that guy is a flamethrower. 
And like obviously yeah. given the given the NBA talent, he might not be like quote unquote the best shooter on the team, but like in an empty gym, I find it hard to believe that that guy would lose a shooting contest. I watched his highlights after uh after the Hornets signed him and the big thing that stuck out to me is that he's a great shooter, but like kind of like you said this is situational. Like he's shooting shots off like loose balls fall in his lap and he just catches it and fires it or uh off the dribble off the catch like falling out of bounds he has like there's no three-point shot that he can't make like he doesn't have to be set and open to knock down shots he can just fire it up real quick no matter what's around him and knock it down uh i don't know if he has any other nba skills but we've seen that if you're a good enough shooter with like troy daniels and matt thomas in toronto um and guys like that that if you're a good enough shooter you don't really have to do anything else well yeah, exactly. And like obviously he's not Duncan Robinson either, but Duncan is really not that yeah, good at one. Yeah, else. And yeah. like and he he has similar size. I think he's honestly a bit heavier than Duncan Robinson is. Uh Duncan has like a a, a long a fairly long wingspan is definitely like just more apt to defend NBA players cuz he's 6'8", but like they and he Nate Darling doesn't have a ton of uh like you know, ball skills as like a playmaker or a ball handler. He's good at handling the ball and getting into his shot with it, but not necessarily at beating somebody with it and getting to the rim. So, but yeah, I mean, if, if he can just, if he can knock down threes, like he really, like John said, sometimes you don't have to do more than that. Like you can just play, you know, nine minutes a game for your career, average five points, <laughs> seven points, make a lot of money and probably make some notable play in the playoffs at some point. Like, just hitting a random clutch three-pointer because, you know, that's what that guy's done his whole damn life, and I don't expect it to change now. <laughs> yeah, I can't believe I forgot about Duncan Robinson, like the quintessential guy that does nothing but shoots threes. Undrafted, right. Yeah, and 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 his stats at Michigan are not, like, they're similar to um, Darlings at Delaware and UAB. He didn't really play much at UAB, but if you kind of extrapolate into the whole career, the career as a whole, their uh their stats are somewhat similar, so yeah, most players that can that come into the NBA as pure shooters that can't do anything else end up not having like the nothing else part of their game holds them back too much and they end up as G leaguers or playing in Europe. Think work to try. Eventually, one's gonna hit. We tried it last year with Robert Franks. Eventually, one of these guys will hopefully hit. Where it's just like, man, he's such a good shooter that he changes the whole complexion of the game just because just his presence on the court. Like Duncan Robinson again, the Heat, like he doesn't have to do anything. It's just the fact that he can knock down any open shot he gets completely changes how teams guard the Heat. And that's, I think, what the Hornets are looking for with these flyers they take on shooters. Yeah, it doesn't even have to go in. Like you just have to make the defense think like, oh, that guy's going to pull up from 34 feet. Like I, we have to contest <laughs> that because if yeah. it goes in, he's just going to start murdering us because he needs one shot to get hot and that's it. But I mean, I mean, if he can even do do that for like a couple years or a year in his career, that is that's a another good find by the Hornets and an, probably another credit to their development staff as well. I know Zach. There are a lot of people a, that thought he was like the best shooter in the draft, but I, I know I mean, Zach. He probably have some some thoughts on Nate. Uh, big on watching Delaware basketball games. Oh, just I uh, watched all of them. Um, <laughs> but uh, if he over under, like. Over under five games played, it just just in the game for one minute for this guy. Oh, five games. Uh, let's see how many games did Joe Cheely play last year. Ooh, that's a good comparison. Four. Probably okay. Something like that. You're probably right on the. I think you're probably like right around the ballpark. Um, Great. So I'm gonna take my time to make another ball pun. Um. <laughs> Let me quote the famous philosopher Rashid Wallace when I say, "Ball don't lie." That, <laughs> I think that, that's for your time. I see the rest of the time. <laughs> well, I, got another, I think we've we've thoroughly covered it. Um, we will be back soon because uh, free agency starts. Is it Friday? Is it start today? Yeah, it starts at midnight. It's yeah. basically already started because all the player options are happening right now, and you know they're yeah. tampering. Get involved. Oh yeah, the Bucks, Get the Bucks involved, and Kings are in, are in trouble because they agreed to a sign and trade before the window opened, and the NBA is like, "Wait a minute!" And they're like, "Oh no, we didn't agree to that." Bogdan's going to test free agency. We didn't, we yeah, didn't no, that, that was so funny. That whole situation. It's like, oh god, no, no, the big bad Milwaukee Bucks tampered with Bogdan Bogdanovich. 
if only if only this hadn't happened in a similar situation, you know, maybe with LeBron James forcing Anthony Davis out of the world <laughs> two years. And Magic Johnson too, yeah. Like <laughs> I know. And Brian Winworth <laughs> giving like testimonials on ESPN last night. Like, <laughs> Milwaukee Bucks should be banished. And it's like, dude, you can understand Ridiculous. how dumb you look right now. I, I like Winworth, but it's like, come on, man. If there are any two teams who are just like the top of the the list of teams that tamper too much and get away with too much, it's the Sacramento Kings and the Milwaukee. Like you just yeah, you those, hate those, to see it. those darned huge markets in Sacramento, Milwaukee. <laughs> They're always tampering to bring players there and to bring these huge franchise altering players, make move them around like Bogdan Bogdanovich. Yeah, it's it's just so funny the whole thing. It's it's very entertaining. And it's made better by the fact that his name is Bogdan Bogdanovich. Yes, that that's actually um, his parents. Huge shout out to them. Huge. Yes. I, I love those people. It's the, I, I, I need to know if he has any siblings and what their names are. Is is that's he's Serbian, right? Yes. Yeah. Um, it's basically like the Serbian equivalent of naming your kid like John Johnson or. <laughs> that's so that's true. A, yeah, like John Smith. Or, yeah, yeah, exactly. Just a yeah, regular name in their country. Yeah, or like, yeah, anything. It's like the the Ovich is kind of like the son of English last names. I don't know if it's like the literal translation, but in terms of its prevalence in last names. So yeah, it's just when you name yourself like John Johnson or something like that. So yeah, Bogdan Bogdanovich. Uh, just get get involved in free agency Hornets. That's what I need you to do. There's certainly some holes in this roster that could be filled by reliable free agent players who don't call some. In fact, even if they're reliable, throw the arm in the in the leg in there. We're we're getting out of cap hell, <laughs> and just don't put us back in there. Is all I'm asking. Yeah, the Hornets got 19 million dollars in cap space. Uh, don't think they'll sign anybody notable with it. They'll probably sign. They have to. They might sign somebody. Uh, just as like a veteran presence, fill out the roster. But I think it's more likely they try to, or at least they'll try to use that to uh, facilitate other moves for other teams that need cap space to make, to sign players they actually want. And the Hornets will take the players they don't want in that cap space. And uh, we'll, but we'll talk about that when it starts to happen. Um, probably sometime next week, because it'll be going underway. By the way, I can't find a Bogdan Related to another person whose name is Bogdan Bogdanovich. <laughs> I want with Boyan Bogdanovich from Serbia as well. He's Croatian. Ah, uh, okay. I was gonna say. Wonder yeah, actually, actually, just a common name. That. Well, I read that in the. Uh, I just went to his Wikipedia in the personal life section, and it was like uh, he's not related to Boyan Bogdanovich, but he is related to an architect named Bogdan Bogdanovich. But. Well, huh. <laughs> wow, well, that's insane. what a great way to end the, end the podcast, guys. This, is, this, <laughs> this world is insane. I'm gonna it'd be so fun when I put the like the talking points, the bullet points on this, and the last one just gonna be like Bogdan Bogdanovich facts, <laughs> Ser- Serbian surnames. <laughs> yes, but <laughs> thanks, thanks for listening. Thanks for putting up with the Bogdan Bogdanovich stats. Uh, we'll talk to you guys soon once uh, with all the free agency stuff happening. So see you guys later. Peace out. See ya.